Greetings and welcome to Shnayim Mikra, the wonderful podcast series developed, sponsored by the Orthodox Union, hosted here at OU.org. In each one of these podcasts, we read, translate, study, and investigate one of the aliyot of the current week's parashat. My name is Yitzchak Shalom, and it's been a delight to be studying parashat the Devarim with you this week. Over the course of the week, we have investigated several of the overarching themes of Sefer Dvarim, at least the first part of Dvarim, and how they impact on the narrative or the uh, sermon, if you will, of Moshe Rabbeinu here as he begins his farewell to the people. In the seventh Aliyah, and I promised throughout the series that uh, I would attend to several unfinished pieces of business in the earlier parts of the parashah, but the seventh Aliyah, which is short, uh, continues to describe the granting of the land on the east bank to the two and a half tribes after the war against Sihon and Og. In Perak Gimel Pasuk Tetvav, chapter 3, verse 15, we begin, Ulamachir Natati Etagilad. Machir is a, is the first son of Menashe, so the Machir family was given the Gilad, unlike Yair ben Menashe, who perhaps at some earlier point had taken a northern area uh, that we spoke about. Now, this seems to be a repetition of what we heard in the previous Aliyah of the borders of Reuven and God. But the difference here is that in the previous Aliyah, it was the direct result of the war. Here it's a different story. Here it is to explain why Reuven and God and part of Menashe are ent- about to enter the land with a very different configuration than the rest. The rest of us are all entering the land together, even Shevet Levi is, even though not as not as a warrior. Uh, but Reuven and God are coming in with none of the women, none of the children, none of the old people, none of their animals. They're all g- going to be settled in cities on the East Bank. And if you take a look at the numbers, because in Sefer Yoshua we read that Reuven, God, and half Menashe t- all together comprised 40,000 frontline soldiers and you look at the census in Parshat Pinchas, you'll see that Reuven and God alone uh, amounted to uh, well over that, uh, significantly more than twice that. And that's without part of Menashe. It uh, makes it clear that at least some of the men, and this is reasonable, stayed behind also to protect these uh, makeshift cities that they had. Um, and so here is an explanation for why Reuven and God and half Menashe are going to be entering the land differently than the rest of you. Again, the boundaries. So it's the plains, the Yardain itself, and the boundary there that goes from the Kinneret until Yamarava, which is Yamamelach. Underneath the cliffs of Pisgah, Pisgah is where we are at now, these cliffs that look down on the Yardain, Mizracha. So they have that land. And the cliffs that go down, excuse me, to the other direction, into the desert, to the east, they have all of that land. And at that point, I command you to, and Moshe is recalling what happened several months ago. God has given you this land to conquer. So now, this land now means he's pointing to Canaan. You have to go, your most valorous soldiers have to go ahead as the pioneers, the front line, I know that you have lots of possessions. Of course, this is again a different retelling, because that's how the entire negotiation started 
Here it becomes the opposite. Moshe says, your women, your children, and all of your cattle, I know that you have a lot of cattle, they'll stay in these cities that I've given to you. Which, by the way, is again different. Because Ian said from Amidbar, Moshe says, you have to build cities, meaning makeshift tempt cities. In the meantime, here they're going to stay in the cities that they conquered from Zichon Rov. Until God gives your brothers rest like you, meaning until the West Bank is conquered, and they also conquer the land that God gives them, then you come back to your own place. And by the way, there is no negative on this entire scene of Reuven and God living on the East Bank in this position. And Moshe is talking to people and saying, I commend Yoshua at that time to say, Your eyes see everything that Hashem has done to these two kings. This is exactly what God is going to do to all the kingdoms on the other side where you're going to go. Now, there's something a little bit incongruous about this also, because Moshe, and if we follow the chronology of Parshat Chukat, Moshe already knew he would not lead the people in, but he did not know who would be the successor. It was only in Parshat Pinchas, when Hashem said to Moshe, come up and die, which means at the very end, that Moshe says, I'm not going to come up until you appoint a new leader and have him uh, be secured in my place. And that's when he appointed out Yoshua. So it may mean that Moshe already knew this about Yoshua. Maybe they could, the chronology is not accurate in Bamidbar and in Mukdam Mukhar. In any case, what does Moshe then turn to the people and say? Lo tira'um. Do not be afraid of them, meaning these other nations. Because Hashem, your God, is fighting for you. Now, what you realize here is this last line explains most of the Parsha. This last line explains why Moshe spent so much time and energy describing the war against Sichon and Og, describing uh, our skirting uh, Edom, Moab, and Ammon, and our motivation for that, so that we would understand that if we are loyal to Hashem and follow His commands and go to war when He tells us to go to war, the greatest, most powerful, scary nations that are around, with the cities that are fortress till the sky, no problem. We will conquer them easily, as you have seen. And you even see that other nations that are from Avraham's seed conquered mighty powerful nations that were here and supplanted them. You will have no problem. Your loyalty to the word of Hashem is the key to your success. Now, there's one piece of unfinished business I mentioned from earlier on in the parsha that I'd like to briefly address and then direct you to some further investigation if you're interested. In uh, the description of our restraint, our divinely mandated restraint against going to war against both Moab and later Ammon, the wording used is, you may not conquer this land, for it is given to B'nai Lot. Again, not, I've given it to Ammon, I've given it to Moab, I've given it to B'nai Lot. What is the idea behind that? And to add to that question, there is a famous Midrashic direction that picks up on Brit Beramatarim, back in Bereshit Perak Tedvav, when Hashem told Avram, I'm going to give, I'm, uh, here, I'm going to give you the land, and he promised him not seven nations, but ten nations, Akeni, Akonuniv, which is understood by some to refer to areas of the East Bank. Why was that promise given, but then it was sort of pulled back? What happened to the entire promise about the Euphrates and a much larger land? So one thing I'd like to suggest is, 
You have to remember that everything that's happening here is happening under the shadow of Chetam Raglim. All of Parshat Dvarim is informed by Chetam Raglim. That's why we're here. That's why we took this direction. That's why we needed to bolster our confidence by going to war against these people because we lost our confidence. That's why we need to demonstrate our loyalty. All of it is a result of Chetam Raglim. The one Chet that defines this generation's legacy that they have to live down, if you will. Not theirs, their parents' legacy that they have to live down. What was the most frightening statement in Chetam Raglim, in the people's reaction to the spies' report, was when they said, in Perak Yudalad, Nitna Rosh Fanashuva Mitzrayma, let's appoint a captain and we'll go back to Egypt. We prefer Egypt to this. We prefer to go back to the lush comfort, even as slaves of Egypt, than to have to go into this scary land uh, which devours its inhabitants. That is a sentiment that we last heard from Lot. When Lot came back from Egypt after being thrown out of the country, if you recall, at the end of Perakud Gimel and Breshi, when Lot came back with Avram to the hill country, and they had to separate because of the fighting between the shepherds, Avram offered Lot the following option. If you go north, I will go south. If you go south, I will go north. Smola and Yemina in Tanakh are directions. They don't just mean one way or the other. And Avram was offering Lot either the northern part of the hill country towards Shechem or the southern part towards Hebron. Lot instead looked down and saw Sodom. And what was Sodom? Sodom was a city, an area that looked like Mitzrayim. Kegan Adonai Keretz Mitzrayim. And that's what he wanted. He loved Mitzrayim. He loved the fact that everything was there for him, the security, not the need to look to heaven for rain, but the ready-made green and lushness of stone, and that's what he chose. There's much, much more to say about that beyond the purview of this uh, particular kind of forum. Uh, and as a result, he chose that city. We all know what happened to him, and we know that his children, born of those two sequentially incestuous knights, are Amon and Moab. The statement seems to be, you do not have the right, B'nai Israel to conquer the land of B'nai Lot until you demonstrate moral superiority to them. Your conquest of the East West Bank is not because I've chosen you or not because you have uh, superior genetics. It's because you have superior morality. And that is why we're warned. You shall not follow the Mitzrayim and you shall not follow the Kananim. And if you do, you're going to be thrown out of the land like they'll be thrown out of the land. Your promised land is because of the moral high road. And therefore, you do not have the right. You must skirt around the children of, of Lot because you are no better than Lot. And that perhaps is why the first city that they conquer in, in, uh, in Eretz Canaan is a city and the conquest of that city has many, many echoes of the conquest of the city of Stom. Compare the story of Yericho and the figure of Rachav and the salvation with the conquest of uh, the destruction of Sdom and the salvation of Lot. In any case, just something to think about. Perhaps that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that it belongs to B'nai Lot and you are not better yet, have not yet proven your metal to be better than B'nai Lot and therefore you must skirt them until you enter the land and do it properly. In any case, we've spent a wonderful week together studying a fantastic parsha, which starts us off on the final book of the Torah and is the beginning of Moshe's farewell speech. Again, my name is Yitzchak at Shalom. And it's been a delight to be studying with you through this most modern of techn- technological media
while we study the most ancient and hallowed of our texts. Everyone should have a wonderful Shabbat and an easy fast.